0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Uh, Now depending what movie you say, we're going to date you, so be careful. Uh, But uh, how many of you remember the first movie you saw in a theater? Anybody? Anybody brave enough to tell me? Snow White? Who said that? Gene? Snow White? Everyone's Googling now to see when Snow White was re- first released in theaters. Okay. Uh, David, what was it? Rain. Okay. Rain, I don't know that movie. Um, the drive in movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The first movie I saw uh, in a theater was Finding Nemo. (laughs) I was 23 years old the first time I went to a movie theater. Um, Part of the reason why is because my parents just didn't indulge in things like that. You know, my parents were very frugal growing up, and I appreciate that. Uh, For those of you who know me, and Libby will tell you, and my close friends will tell me, that trait has rubbed off in me in quite a number of ways. My my frugality, their frugality in my life. One of the reasons that we didn't go to movies is because um, we really felt like going to a movie was sinful. We really felt that. It's interesting how when you start attending church, when you start going to church, you begin to accumulate a list of rules that you follow. Am I right? And some of those rules are clearly in the Bible. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie. Those are good rules that are actually in the Bible. And then based on the way we grow up, and maybe if you grew up in church, you start adding those other rules to your life. I could, sh- I could share with you some other rules I probably had as a child that uh, may or may not be worth our time this morning. But being a Christian sometimes means we do, we do these things, but we certainly don't do these things. And it's interesting to know, and perhaps we could go around the room and you could share some of the rules you grew up with. I know some Christians who grew up and you didn't play with uh, face cards, right? You didn't play with cards. Skippo is all good. But a 52-card deck of cards with the joker and the king and the queen, those were not okay. So all these kinds of rules we've put on ourselves, because many of them aren't found in the Bible. So it's interesting because the focus almost seems like, well, if I have this set of rules and I start obeying this set of rules, I will now earn God's favor in my life. I will now be accepted because of how I behave. Rules are helpful, don't get me wrong. I think we can all agree that having structure and rules gives us order and a pathway for clarity and oftentimes productivity. But the unhealthy emphasis of rules can lure us in a false sense of thinking, a false sense of security. There's some faulty ways of thinking that can come when we have an unhealthy emphasis on rules, particularly when it comes to our faith. For instance, we can come up with the The way of thinking, for instance, that no matter what I do, I can never measure up. Because if you have a list of rules, there are probably a list of opportunities and instances where you did not measure up. And so for some of us, no matter what we do, we can never measure up. And if I keep a list, it'll keep me, help me stay on track. And the solution is the list. And as long as I keep adding things to this list, I will stay in good graces with God. Uh, Another faulty way of thinking is no matter how much I do, God is still angry with me. And this is based on our feelings. These are based on the expectations that we put on ourselves. But if we have this set of rules that say uh, on Sundays we go to church and on this day we do this and on this day we do this. and, And here's the list of things that I must accomplish in order to earn God's graces. The false sense of thinking comes no matter how much I do, God still can be angry with me. One of the things that happens when you have a set of rules like that is you don't know where exactly you stand with God. Understanding the way of thinking and the the way uh, this way of thinking and while I attended church, this was this was basically the way I, I approached my life while I was attending church as a kid when I was a teenager, when I went to Bible college. Early into my adulthood, I thought, boy, if these are the list of rules that I follow, then I will earn God's graces, I'll earn His favor. And if something bad happened in my life, it's because I broke one of these rules. By way of review, we're in the book of of Hebrews. And if you're just joining us today, we're in Hebrews chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and pull it out. You can look in your Bible app. The notes are there as well. But Hebrews is a book that was written for persecuted Jewish Christians, and they're torn between their new faith in Jesus and their old way of living. They're torn between this new faith that Jesus has granted them by grace, uh, by grace through faith. It's nothing they could earn on their own, and yet they're pulled back to their old way of thinking, which included sacrifices and priests and earning their way to acceptance in God. The old way of living was a covenant that God had handed down from, uh, uh, that had been handed down, I should say, from God to Moses all those years ago in the book of Exodus. And what we learned about the old covenant last week was the old covenant was limited and temporary. Everyone say the word limited Limited. and temporary. temporary. What that meant was this. It's limited because uh, in the old covenant, uh, the people would come to the priest and they would come w- weekly to offer different kinds of sacrifices. But then once a year, they would come to the priest and they would offer a sacrifice that was supposed to take care of all their sins for the past 364 days. And they would walk out of that, uh, that ceremony, they would walk out of that sacrifice having been forgiven for the last year, only to come back the next year. It was limited. It was also temporary. They had to come back over and over and over again. But because the old covenant was limited and temporary, God knew there would be a need for a new covenant. And last week we saw with the new covenant, God gives you purity, right? Uh, In Jesus Christ, uh, we have been made pure. The Bible says that God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. The new covenant also gives us a new identity. 2 Corinthians says, boy, if any of you are in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. He gives us a new desire. He says that even in your hearts, I'm going to write my law in your hearts so that you would have it with you, so you would have a new desire and we have a new power by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The old covenant was a copy and a shadow of who was to come. Jesus so if you're following in your notes today the old covenant was a copy and a shadow of which was to come the copy is not the original the shadow is not the original but they pointed to the fact that a new covenant was coming and it pointed to Jesus and it pointed to the cross what would happen on the cross now most Jewish people at this time had rejected the claim that Jesus was the Messiah the chosen one for them the old covenant was still legit still secure, still in effect. And from chapter 8 last week, we saw that the old covenant was temporary and limited, but this new covenant was complete and eternal. Once you've accepted God's gift and once you uh, embrace the forgiveness that was bought on the cross of Jesus Christ, we didn't have to come back to him year after year after year. His forgiveness was complete and it was eternal. It provided a complete forgiveness and eternal life, and so this new covenant was made by God for followers of Jesus Christ. If you've accepted Christ and placed your trust in Him for forgiveness of your sins, and you've repented from them, you are now under the new covenant. We now receive His love and rest in His righteousness, not our own. So this old covenant, it was it was based on the law, and the law was so complex and such a high standard. How many commandments did did God give? Ten, ten commandments, right, to Moses. And then, based on those Ten commandments, there were 613 laws that the Old Testament Jewish culture would abide by. That's a lot to keep track of. You imagine walking with that weight of, of understanding and memorizing all of that law just to find yourself slip up time and time again. 613 laws every single day you'd have to know them you'd have to abide by them and so the law was so complex so so intricate uh, intricate I should say that no one could ever hold to that standard that's why in the new testament jesus said boy i didn't come to destroy the law he says i am come to fulfill it those 613 laws i'm the very embodiment of those I made them whole, I, I, I fulfilled the law as it was given. He's the only person in history to live up and fulfill to the law as it was written. So what happens to us, well, though, well, even though intellectually we know that we're under this new covenant, what happens to us when we fall back into the old covenant way of thinking? where we have a list of rules, where we add rules to God's law, where we have to earn His acceptance and His forgiveness, where we have to appease God with our behavior in order to escape judgment. It puts an incredible weight on our shoulders. It's something we can't handle. What happens when we live in the New Covenant and still have Old Covenant thinking? Well, I want to unpack this for a moment, but when we live in the New Covenant and we still have Old Covenant thinking, we will live in one of two places— Pride or despair. I want you to think about that. If you, if you are under the impression that you have to uh, keep the law and that you have a set of rules that you have to obey in order to earn God's favor, if, you, if there's a set of expectations that if you do these things, you earn his acceptance and you appease him for another day, the only result of living that way is pride or despair. Pride because we deceive ourselves into thinking we've measured up. And so you look at a list of rules and you say, I got that. And you look at people around you and say, they certainly don't. Don't point at people. It's not nice. But if if you're under the impression that you can earn God's grace, you can earn his forgiveness, you can earn his acceptance, all of a sudden you are filled with this sense of pride. Boy, I got this. You know where I go to? I go to First Christian Church. I'm fine. I got this. I go go most Sundays. The other option is despair, where you have placed so many burdens and pressures onto your life that we live each day in defeat and despair. I want to ask you, which one of those places are you living in right now? Because most Christians who, who come to God with the understanding, boy, I know what you did on the cross. Uh, I trust you for my eternal life. Uh, I trust you for forgiveness. I know that I'm a son or I'm a daughter in the kingdom of God. But my, I got Mondays, God. I'll take care of Mondays on my own. I know the rules. I know the expectations. Let me prove it to you. Let me earn it. And if you walk in your faith in one of those two places, you're either going to live in a place of pride where no one else can measure up to your expectations, or you're going to live in despair where you're constantly in defeat because the pressures you've put on yourselves are too great to overcome. We live in one of these places when there's old covenant thinking. Here's, Here's the summation. The problem with either pride or despair, either result is that it takes the focus off of Jesus and puts it on ourselves. You see, either way, it's a selfish endeavor. The old covenant never led to heart change. That was one of the ways that it was incomplete. It just led people to have hearts of pride or live lives of despair. And so year after year they would come and they would offer the sacrifices only to return to their old way of living, never having a heart change. And the joy of the gospel, the joy of the new covenant is that he changes us from the inside out. He provides us a relationship instead of regulations. And so today we uncover a greater perspective. Now the writer of Hebrews helps us understand this new perspective with a very old perspective uh metaphor an old image and that's the old testament tabernacle so we're in hebrews chapter nine we're going to read a few verses and unpack this hebrews chapter nine verse one and two says says this the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary a tabernacle was set up and in its first room was the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called, the. say it with me, the holy place. What he's saying is this first section is where the priests were allowed. Uh, this was called, excuse me, this was called the holy place. Weekly the priests would come in and make sacrifices and this is where they would perform these duties. We read on verse 3. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. So this second section was the most holy place and this was reserved for the high priest only, what's inside of that? Let's look at it. Verse 4, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. So this most holy place had all of the most treasured relics, the most treasured items in Jewish faith. It had the ark, it had the gold jar of manna that represented the time where God would provide daily for the children of Israel. It had Aaron's staff that, that, that led them through the wilderness. It had the stone tablets, the ones with the Ten Commandments on it. Uh, read on in verse 5, above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. I love the, he, uh, the writer of Hebrews here, he says this, we can't discuss these things in detail right now. It's like he's going down this path and he's talking about the tabernacle. And he's like, I'm not going to get into too much detail here. I just want you to know what I'm talking about. The tabernacle was hugely significant. It had the greatest treasures, like I said, of the Jewish culture. And he goes on to explain what happens in the tabernacle. Not so much the details anymore of what's uh, what's in it, but what actually happens inside of it. Look at verse 6. When everything has been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry but only the high priest entered the inner room. And that only once a year. We just talked about that. Never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So in terms of responsibility, the priests went about their duties weekly, but also yearly. Uh, on a yearly ba- basis, they would enter the smaller, the, the most holy place. They would offer a blood sacrifice for his own sins as a priest, but also the people's accumulated sins. This is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, on the Jewish calendar. He goes to explain what else happens. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only matters of they're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings external regulations applying until the time of the new order. How many of you are confused by now? It's a lot of detail. He's trying to unpack what the significance was for years. The children of Israel just took this as face value. They said, well, here's the tabernacle. This is how we get forgiveness. This is how we appease God. This is how we earn God's favor. We're children of God. This is what we do. He said we do it and that's it. These are the rules. 613 of them. This is part of it. We come to the New Testament, and Jesus now has fulfilled the law. He has lived a sinless, perfect life. He is God in the flesh. He is now uh, crucified for our sin. He's been buried. He's resurrected. He's defeated death, guilt, shame. He now is sat down at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews 1 told us, signifying that the work is complete right? When you embrace the gift that God has given you, the work is complete. And so now he's saying, remember way back when in the tabernacle, these Jewish Christians, they were, uh, they were tempted to go back to their old faith. And what the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 you don't want to go back. What was there in the tabernacle was simply a copy. It was a shadow of what was to come. Under this system, the gifts and the sacrifices can't really go to the heart of the matter. They can't Put at ease the conscious of the people. They're limited to the matters of ritual and behavior. And it's essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. Nothing wrong with the duties performed by the priest. Uh, they, they did what they could, but they had limitations. The rituals they provided on a weekly and on a yearly basis could never produce heart change. They could never uh, influenced someone to change because there was always a system in place that helped them get out of their brokenness but the ritual represented something greater important something important that served as a simple and the question that the writer of hebrews is asking us to consider is this how in the world can we serve god effectively if we're always so full of guilt and shame and the simple answer is we cannot because the rituals lacked power these hebrew christians were christians were tempted to go back to their law to go back to the weekly sacrifice to go back to the annual sacrifice because it was easier it made sense and what the writer of Hebrews is saying is man there's a greater perspective there's something greater that you can embrace they wanted to go back the old covenant just made sense the old tabernacle made sense you'd go in you'd do your sacrifice you'd leave and It just was simple. But the writer of Hebrews is asking them to consider, did that actually influence your heart change? Because only Jesus has the power to redeem us, to change our hearts and our lives. You cannot do something external and fix a problem that is internal, right? You cannot do something external to fix a problem that's internal. You can't do it then and you can't do it now. Uh, Verse 11, he goes on. He explains what the significance of what Jesus Christ is. Verse 11 says this, When Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of this creation. Verse 12, He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood thus obtaining eternal redemption. He says, man, remember the goats? Remember the bulls? Remember the blood we would spill for your sacrifice? Jesus Christ did that, but he did it with his own blood. And because he fulfilled the law, he was a sinless, perfect sacrifice, it is now a sacrifice obtaining eternal redemption, verse 12 says. He bypassed the sacrifice consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood, the price to set us free once and for all. Verse 13, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Verse 14, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience, not just outwardly clean anymore, but he cleansed our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. What he's saying is this, man. We, we used to have bulls and we used to have goats and we used to do this uh, yearly sacrifice. And what would happen is this. On the outside, you were redeemed. On the outside, you were forgiven. Only to go back and to live another year in wickedness with guilt and shame hanging over. In you know, either you were living in pride because you were able to fulfill as many laws as you thought you could do. Or you lived in defeat knowing that the expectation was so high there was no way you could earn His grace. But either way, whether it was pride or whether it was despair, you had to measure up and next year you would come back only to get yourselves outwardly clean. He says, now because of the blood of Jesus, we are redeemed and our consciences are free. We've been redeemed once and for all. Through the Spirit, Christ offered Himself as an unblemished sacrifice freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable. So, this is how and why we have a greater perspective, if you're following in our notes. The blood of Jesus has purified our conscience so that we can serve the living God. Look at verse 14. The very reason that Christ offered himself and cleansed our conscience is found at the end of verse 14, so that we may serve the living God. how how how, here is how that we should change it should change our perspective if we're a follower of jesus christ jesus is enough he measures up when we couldn't he made himself near when we were far apart he is close he is personal we don't have to walk around with this label of failure or pride or despair anymore we have been set free and because we've been set free we do not serve god for his love acceptance and redemption We serve God from love, acceptance, and redemption. Let me say that again. We don't serve God for love, acceptance, and redemption. We serve God from it. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. Church, don't minimize the cross by trying to earn his love. Don't minimize what he did on the cross by trying to redeem yourself don't minimize the very resurrection of jesus christ by trying to gain acceptance on your own we rest in his love and that frees us to serve god we don't keep score we love because he loved us We love others because he first loved us. We love our enemies because he loved us. We love those who don't agree with us because he loved us. We love those who don't vote like us because he loves us. We love those who don't look like us because he loves us. Remember, when we rely on ourselves and try to do it on our own, we're going to end up in pride or despair. And it's not about us, it's about him. And in him there's true joy. I'll be honest, the rest of Hebrews 9 is a little muddy. It's kind of hard to pick out what exactly he says. He, he ends up talking about this greater perspective and why it's so important. And he uses a, an, an example of a will uh, to, to, to make his point, uh, a contract, if you will. The writer says that like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. His death marked the transition from the old covenant to the new one, canceling any of the old obligations he brought together God and his people in this new way with a greater perspective and even the first plan required a death to set it in motion we know about the sacrifices Moses did the same thing with the places of worship and its furniture Moses said that this is the blood that of the covenant of God that has established with you practically everything hinged on a death in the Old Testament And the new covenant also hinges on the death of Jesus Christ. Christ did not enter the earthly version of the holy place. You'll see that phrase in the uh, end of chapter 9. And what he's talking about is this. He's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ entered heaven itself and offered himself to God as the sacrifice for our sins. He doesn't have to do this every year. He did it once and for all. And if this had been the case, he would have had to sacrifice himself repeatedly throughout the course of history but instead he sacrificed once and for all. The writer of Hebrews ends this discussion with a sobering thought. Look at verse 27. He says this, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jump back up to verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once. Everyone has to die once, and then we give an account for our life. Hebrews ends with this very sobering thought that we all have the opportunity to live, but just as we all live, we all die. And we must give an account for our life. This is why Christ died for us. His death was a one-time event. It was a sacrifice that took care of sins forever. And so when he appears next, the outcome for those who eagerly wait is to greet him in salvation. Boy, this greater perspective is powerful for us. To understand that we don't serve God for his love and acceptance and his redemption, but we serve God from it. John Maxwell said this, he said, if you're willing to change your thinking, you can change your feelings. And if you can change your feelings, then you can change your actions. And changing your actions based on good thinking can change your life. I want you to think about the rich young ruler for a minute. Uh, there's a story in, in uh, I believe it's Matthew's gospel, about a rich young ruler coming to see Jesus. By the way, how would you like to be described with those three words? Right? Like, I would take any one of those three. Rich, you, had, you know this man had influence. He had resources. He had wealth. He had the nicest camel on the market, the nicest robes. He was rich. What's the second one? He was young. That means he was just like my age. It hurts when you laugh like that. (laughs) He was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. That means he had influence. That means he had people under him. He had servants. And this rich, young ruler came to Christ and he asked the question, What must I do to obtain this life everlasting? Now the point of Jesus coming is that we don't have to do anything. But Christ knew what was in his heart. And in that moment, in, in response to that question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus gave him something to do. He says, well, go, go and sell all that you have. Just sell everything that you own. Give it away. He could have given him five things, but there was the first thing he wasn't going to get done anyway. The Bible, depending on your translation, says uh, the rich young ruler walked away rejected, dejected. I think the King James Verne says in great sorrow. Because he could not comprehend that this was not something he could do, it's not something he could earn. And the reason why Jesus, I think, left that story for us is this. Uh, What can you do to earn God's love? There's nothing. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love. It's a gift. It was freely given. Uh, What can you do to earn his acceptance and his redemption? Well, the new covenant was gifted so that we don't have to walk under that weight any longer. And if you're sitting here today and you think, man, Daniel, it'd be way easier if you just gave me the five things I need to do this week in order to earn God's love. The one or two things is going to happen. I'll give you a few things, and you're going to be filled up with so much pride that you're able to accomplish them, or you're going to be in so much despair because the weight of those expectations is too much for you to bear. And so God has another plan. He has a different plan, and his plan is this. Come unto me, all of you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved, through faith, not of works. Otherwise, you'd boast. It's the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Boy, as we take a moment to reflect and respond, just a few questions. Number one, have you placed your trust in Jesus? Or are you placing your trust in the list of things? Is there a list in the back of your mind you say, well, I went to church this week. I'm, I'm good. I'm settled. I checked in on Facebook this week. I'm good. I, I, I've done it. Is there a list of things in your life that you're saying, boy, if I do this, I know. Well, have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Will you embrace a greater perspective? You know, the blood of Jesus has purified us so that we can serve the living God. Will you embrace the greater perspective? And what is the driving force for your service towards God? Understanding we don't serve God for his love. We serve God from love, from acceptance and redemption. I want to close with two powerful verses. Write these down. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and verse 39 says this. I am convinced In fact, let's read these together. If you're in the audience, if you're at home, we're in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Two verses, ready, begin. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of god that is revealed in christ jesus our lord this is a message of freedom he said daniel you don't you don't you don't know what i did before i moved to roseburg nothing can separate us from the love of god daniel you, you don't know what i used to do as a kid as a teenager you don't you don't know the decisions i've made nothing can separate us from the love of god He said daniel you don't know what i did this morning nothing can separate us from the love of god this is a message of freedom You don't have to come weekly. You don't have to come annually to receive his love, acceptance, or redemption anymore. We get to come and embrace the freedom that Christ has to offer in his love with this greater perspective. I want to pray for you. Will you bow your head with me? We're going to take a moment. If you're at home, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. Just take a moment, pause. We're just going to pray together. Our worship team is going to make its way forward, and we're going to sing... Boy, just a couple of powerful songs that are going to help us center our hearts in worship. If you've never placed your trust in God and started a relationship with him, boy, if we could be good enough, if we could earn his favor, if we could live a life good enough to be recognized as holy, there would have never been a need for Jesus to die on the cross. There would have never been a need for a sacrifice that Jesus Christ provided. Boy, if you've never embraced the truth and place your trust in Christ, I pray that today would be the day you do so. How do you do that? Boy, you change your heart and you place your trust in Christ. The Bible says, so Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. The thief, the enemy of our soul, the devil comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life. God proved His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I'd encourage you today to put your trust in Christ. In a few moments, we're going to have uh, one, of, uh, one of the men in our church lead us in communion. Brayden's going to lead us. And when we take communion together, we identify with Christ by remembering his sacrifice and the gift that he gave us on the cross. We take a portion of the bread and we take a portion of the juice. And in this, we honor, remember, and celebrate. What Christ did on the cross for us. Maybe today is the day that you receive communion as the first time as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower, if you have placed your trust in Christ, maybe as a kid or a teenager or as an adult, uh, let me encourage you to embrace a greater perspective. The blood of Jesus has purified your conscience so that you can serve a living God. Every one of us in this room, every one of us under the sound of my voice online, we are serving someone. And it's either yourself and your own passions and desires and your own selfish pursuits, or you serve a living God. And we do so not in order to earn His love or acceptance. We do so from His love. Father, I I, I pray for our church family. And right now is such an such a interesting time for our church family as in many ways we're just separated. Some of us are here, some of us are online. And Father, I, I would pray that we would embrace the greater perspective that you have gifted us, which is that you have saved us from the penalty of sin. You have gifted us this new perspective, this new covenant. And so Father, I pray that you would Give us the creativity, give us the boldness, give us the courage to serve a living God. Father, I pray that the motive for our service would be our love for you. Not to earn your love, but from a place of love, we would serve you. Father, and I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord, that needs to put their trust in you for the very first time. Father, I pray today would be that day of freedom. Let today be that Independence Day where we are freed from the shackles of our guilt and our sin and our shame and we embrace the gift because you are mighty to save, Father. We thank you for your faithfulness for this generation and for generations to come, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.